I was thinking about us doing the creed this morning and uh, saying the Apostles' Creed together, uh, confessing our faith together as we did at the beginning of the service. And we don't say it every single week. We, we have it on occasion. Um, but it's one of those opportunities that we get to stand together as a community and we get to say these words together. Now, every week we do have our benediction that I think does a similar thing. It brings some theology together. It brings in some shared belief about who we are. It pushes us out in, in from the church out into the world with some statements of belief about who we are. But the Apostles' Creed is a little bit different because for hundreds of years, people have confessed their faith with these words. And so we join in reading these words, yet there's something about these words, and I was thinking about this last night as I was finishing putting the, kind of the finishing touches on the service, putting everything into our computer, getting ready this morning. And I was looking at, you know, okay, we've got this song here, we'll do, you know, the welcome, we've got these other couple of songs, and, and I thought, you know, it's time, let's, let's read these ancient words together. Let's, let's, let's do that this morning. But then as I started to think about those words, and I was thinking about this uh, sermon that I'm going to preach today. I realized that it's such a great connection for us. Because the Apostles' Creed, while a great confession of faith, while something that helps us to speak words of faith, they can cause us to pause. The, the Apostles' Creed has this ability to, to have us pause along with wonder. As we read some of the words that might cause us to go, okay, well, well what does that mean, Right? We talk about the virgin birth, or we talk about the resurrection. We talk about that he descended to the dead. He ascended again, right? He was re we, we talk about these words that can make us pause. They, they can make us pause for good reasons and kind of go, man, this is glorious. This is incredible. This is amazing, right? But they can also cause us to have questions. They can cause us to doubt maybe with belief. Doubt and belief aren't different things. I think they're interconnected. They're a part of the same thing. They cause us to stop and go, okay, I believe what I'm saying, but how, does, how is that true? What does that mean? Sometimes they cause us to even go further than that, to have questions maybe among confession because a part of the reality of ancient faith in our modern world is this tension that comes with the mystical reality of religion where the miraculous challenge us to see that something different is going on around us. Does that make sense? Like there's something about faith in our modern world that when we begin to confess the ancient reality of the faith, there is a tension within that because it is calling us to see the world is very different than what I can see right in front of me. And so that causes these sort of questions. It causes sort of a disbelief in it. It causes maybe a sense of wonder or awe about the statements. It causes us to say, well, how do I believe that? And what does that mean? And here's what I want to say about that. That is good. That is good for every single one of us. Last night, I, ha I just want to be completely honest with you. Last night, I was putting the Apostles' Creed in, and as I was doing it, as I was putting the different statements, I had those moments of stopping and going, Man, these words, this is, this, some of this is so hard to comprehend or so unbelievable. There's so many questions that I have about it. Now, without getting too much trouble, without losing my job, I mean, when I write things down about, you know, virgin birth and resurrection, I go, do I really believe in the resurrection? I mean, it's a crazy idea. Now, I do. I want you to know, I absolutely believe in the resurrection. But I believe in the resurrection with all sorts of tension in my heart. Because when I look around, I go, I haven't seen resurrection. 
I've experienced Jesus, so I know that there is resurrection. I've experienced Jesus. But the idea of that leads all these questions, all this tension. And if it doesn't, you're just not leaning far enough into it. Lean into those questions. Lean into those doubts. Lead into that because it's good for us. Whenever I look at the Apostles' Creed, I always find a line that leads me to an aspect to come to a different kind of question. And maybe that's you today. Maybe as you're going along and you're going through different slides, there's one that stands out to you and you kind of feel that, well, what does that even mean? What's that mean for me today? What is, what, how, how does all of that connect? And it's so good because when you do that, when you ask questions like that, that's when you can explore that's when you begin to find meaning in something that has that kind of tension there. If we had just simply left them as words on a page, something to be memorized, something to be repeated, I think we would miss the meaning. I think the meaning comes when we find that disbelief. The meaning comes when we find those questions. The meaning comes when we lean into the tension of words like that. See, these words are meant to ignite our imaginations. They're meant to build attention within us. That this world that we see, maybe, just maybe there's more to this life. Right? Just, just maybe... And when we come into a space like this, when we worship together, when we say words like that, when we read ancient scripture, maybe there's just part of us that says there's got to be more going on. And I think that's what happens in all of that. Now, as we continue our Epiphany series today, we're going to lean into all kinds of tension just like this. If you think that the Apostles' Creed might cause a pause or might cause you to stop, might cause you to go, whoa, that's really uncomfortable, I'm not so sure about that, this story takes that to a whole different level this morning. We are going to lean into this tension, and this is going to be good for us as we continue to learn about who Jesus was, what Jesus came to do, what that has to do with us today. So let's do that as we read this story from the book of Mark that, again, challenges us to hear these words, to lean into tension. Again, not, not to back away from it, not to just have it be words on a page, oh, I've heard that story, I've seen that story before, but to question and say, what does that even mean? And what do I do with that? This is Mark chapter 1, it says this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came... Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed. They asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly 
over the whole region of Galilee. Now, first of all, I love passages like this that end with statements like that, that sort of make you look at Mark and go, you think? Yeah, that, that kind of story, this kind of thing taking place is probably going to make some news spread about Jesus all over this small area of Galilee. Again, this is, this is a lake region. This is a fishing area. These villages scattered around. I'm imagining that people are getting in boats. They're traveling. They're, go, they're in the boat. They're fishing. They see another guy. You know, he's fishing. They're like, did you hear about this? He's like, I don't know. What are you talking about? And he's like, let me tell you the story. The guy's falling out of his boat because he can't believe what he's hearing. And he's like, what happened to that guy? And he's like, let me tell you the story, right? And this is just spreading from village to village to village. These fishermen get home. They get to their houses. They're getting ready for dinner. They're like, oh, let me tell you what happened on the boat today. And they're like, let me tell you this story that I heard about this Jesus. And they're like, this, that, is that the Jesus that was hanging around? He was teaching before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was down in Capernaum. He was at, the, he was at their synagogue. He was teaching. You know, man, people were like, whoa, this guy can actually, this guy has some power in his teaching. Something's going on here. The word there, by the way, is like divine. Like he is teaching in such a way that people are like, there's some God stuff happening in this. Okay, so they're not like sitting at a lecture. They're not sitting, you know, somebody's like doing algebra or something. They're like, oh, I can't take this. Like this has power and excitement. They're like, what is happening? And then this moment takes place. This moment that we just can't even wrap our heads around. Now, so again, I want us to lean into the tension of this. I want us to read this story because it causes us to stop, to pause, to ask questions, to go, what is happening here? What, what is taking place? Listen again. So the people are amazed at his teaching. We're, we're in line. We're, we're going along. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus is a great teacher. I, I'm, I'm in. I'm good. This is good. He teaches one of us has authority, right? He's got some oomph and some God stuff going on. Yeah, I'm good with that because Jesus is great. I, I like that part of it. And then we get to this part that makes us stop and screech the brakes and we go, wait, what's going on? Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit. Now, first of all, let's ask some questions because questions are good things. It's what we should do. Did they know he was possessed by an impure spirit? Is Mark like this guy had been walking around and they were like, oh, here's the impure spirit guy coming back into church this morning. Were they like, how, how did this happen? Or did they say like, because of what happened, they, they identified that he had an impure spirit. What? I, I don't have an answer to that. I'm just saying these are the kind of questions that we should ask. Because if we pause and stop and say, well, wait a minute, how, how did they know? Did they already know or did they know because of what he did? Okay, well, let's see what he did and maybe we'll start to get some answers. The impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. So this man jumps up. I mean, literally, it would be like I'm preaching. Somebody stands up. Now, if you call me Jesus, we're going to say, wait a minute, we got some problems here. We, got, we need to restart here. But somebody stands up and says, I, I know what's going on here. Oh, I know what's happening. You'd be like, Who, what is going on? Be like, do we have a security team? Do, right? do, we, do, we, have a, do we have somebody to take care of that? Like, th this seems like a real problem. This guy stands up. I imagine he's in the back row because I just imagine everybody going, turn around, look, what is this guy doing? I love what Jesus does because I don't know, I would probably launch myself at somebody, tackle them. Jesus just goes, be quiet. Just shut up. 
Well, I think it's just, I, it's just so awesome that Jesus just looks and goes, would you be quiet? Everybody's like, yeah, would you? And then he goes on, and then he goes, and then here's where it gets weird, guys. Come out of him. Whoa. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed Again, like, did they see this all the time? They were amazed. They looked at each other. They asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? Friends, you just saw an exorcism, and you're talking about the teaching that happened before it. What is happening here? Why is this such a normal thing for the people here? Why are they going, what is this? Alice, did you see that? I'm out the door. I'm running down the street. I'm not sticking around, but they're just like, what's going on? Is this a new teaching? And with authority, he told that man to shut up. What is going on? And then they go on. He gives, he even gives orders to impure spirits. And they obey him. Now, look, when we read stories of miracles. In Jesus' ministry, they are not easy for our modern minds, right? They, they're not easy to comprehend, especially when we think about how we think about today. It, it, we're left with all kinds of questions. I, I mean, walking on water, right? Multiplying food to feed thousands of people. Calming storms with just his voice are some of the miracles that leave us with perplexing questions. Now, when we read those stories, yes, there is part of me that wants us to go, amazing, absolutely incredible. When we read about Jesus calming that storm, we connect that to our lives, we see the way that he is able to calm the, calm, to, to calm the storms of life, that he is able to do that, that does cause us to have that good old traditional, amen, amen. We think about him feeding thousands of people with just simple bread and fish, we should say, wow, what a miracle. That is incredible. We think about him walking on water and we think about the trust to go out and walk with him. We can see the parallels to our own lives. We go, amen, I want to live like that because I want to have that kind of faith and trust in Jesus and his power to be able to do that. How incredible and amazing. But we should also ask those perplexing questions. How does somebody walk on water? he's feeding thousands of people. Man, I wish we could feed thousands of people today with just a little bit of bread. Why isn't that happening right here and right now? We look at some of these questions that we might have about the calming of the storms and say there's all kinds of storms in our world today. I want those storms to be calm. So we have these questions that have some, some very pragmatic realities in our modern world for us right now, but we also have those questions that are an attack to our senses. Because I don't know if when you read this ancient book, you look around and say, I haven't seen somebody walk on water. I haven't seen somebody feed thousands of people like that. I haven't seen a miracle like that take place. I always tell people, they're like, hey, could you pray for good weather? Especially around May, it's kind of strange. Would you pray for good weather? And I'm like, listen, I'm in sales, not operations, my friends. Okay, I'll do my best. And, you know, they say, can we just have some calm times, Right? But what do we do with this? What, what do we do with these perplexing questions then that we should have? 
I mean, listen to this. Listen, let's, let's go back. Let's get, let's get out of these miracles that maybe we can read and go, okay, that makes sense. But let's go to this one. Jesus confronted an impure spirit present inside this man. He had a literal conversation with the spirit, evicted the spirit by telling it to shut up and leave. With a violent reaction, the spirit obeyed Jesus' orders and fled. This is best described again as an exorcism. Now, there's a ton of approaches we could take to this story. I wrote down some of these uh, approaches that we could have to a story like this when we come across Because Here's the deal. We're going to come across more stories like this. We could, we could just dismiss it. We could just open our Bibles, come to a passage like this, say, yeah, this is probably what I'm going to Thomas Jefferson and take out. I don't know if you know that he did that in his Bible. He took out certain parts and he was like, I don't like this part. I'm going to keep the parts that I like. And some people do that, right? I don't know if you're one of those people that you're so bold as to take a permanent marker and actually mark over the words. We have a conversation about that. But there are people that will be like, well, I'm just going to dismiss this. I'm just going to put this aside. I don't like this story. Let me come to a little bit more normal miracle as if any miracles are normal, right? So we could dismiss it. But again, we're going to discover more stories like it. So we might as well address the tension in front of us. Suzanne, who uh, was the associate pastor here at our church um, a couple years ago, and she passed away uh, during the pandemic and I miss her tremendously. One of the things that I miss about her is we would talk about our sermons and we'd put stuff together. She comes to me one time and she says, all right, so I'm preparing the sermon for the weekend. Here's the passage. And we read it together. And she said, now I'm just going to skip the part that says something about a dragon or something. I don't really want to talk about that. And I looked at Suzanne and I was like, really? She looks at me and she goes, ah, crap. (laughs) She said, you're going to make me you're going to make me talk about the dragon, aren't you? I said, Suzanne, I'm not going to make you talk about the dragon, but you want to talk about the dragon, don't you? And she goes, yeah, I do. And I was like, because if you lean away from it, there's all kinds of questions that you're not going to answer, aren't you? And she goes, yeah. And she preached one of these amazing, incredible sermons. And she dealt with the tension. If she didn't deal with there, she's going to deal with it somewhere because that's the reality of the Bible. That is the reality of faith. So we're not, we're not just going to dismiss it. Now, we could ask some questions about things. We could, we, could, we could talk about maybe ancient understandings of ailments. We could talk about ancient understandings that people had about disorders. We could talk about ancient understandings that people had about disease because I don't know if you know, but the world is a very different place today in our understanding of the things than it was in the first century. If you really look at it, up until the early 1900s, the world was a completely different place in how we understood how things worked. Now, there was a lot of things that had changed throughout the Middle Ages that we see, but there is a very clear line of a switch. Now, some people, what they did, and when that began to happen, is they went all in, and we call that kind of a fundamentalist side. This is what it says, this is where it is, this is what happened. I'm going to ignore all of these questions and I'm just going to line myself into this right here. And that's a dangerous place to be because it's a very shallow understanding. It it leads to a very um, unstable, a very unstable foundation. And if we're going to build a house of faith, we need to make sure that we have a stable foundation. And that foundation needs to be able to handle the cracks and the questions that come. 
So there's another way to approach this, and that is to ask those questions, to wonder about how did people think about things, and does that change how we may understand some of this? We can also leave room for the experience of the tellers of the story. Remember, this is an oral tradition that's being passed down. This is an oral tradition of people who saw what happened, went and told other people. People are telling all of these stories about Jesus. Jesus is uh, uh, crucified. He dies. He's resurrected. This faith community begins to build around. This man, Mark, begins to say, I'm going to talk to all these people because I want to put down the stories that I've heard about this Jesus. So he finds all of these people, and he begins to talk to them. Luke even tells us that he does that in his gospel, and he's honest about it. He's like, Here, here's the deal. I'm writing this book. I interviewed all these people. I'm a really good historian, he's saying. I, I did all my due diligence. Here are the stories that I'm telling. And that leaves room for some of the oral tradition that's taking place. And that's good to do. Now, as good students of the Bible, hear me out. Those are the things we should always do. We should always try to understand faith, ancient faith in our modern world. We should always try to ask questions like that. I always tell our kids in youth group this. When you come to a difficult part in scripture, ask hard questions. Don't dismiss it. Lean into the tension. Ask the questions about the text. Learn about it. Read about it. Find what people have discovered about the ancient world at that time. Don't be afraid of what you discover because what you discover along the way most often will have the biggest impact on your faith. Don't ignore it. But there's definitely something that we should do today, and that is not ignore the passage. Lean into it, not away as we discover this tension. Ask, and this is the best question I think we can ask, ask why the author wrote what they wrote. Find the question behind the question. So when we read a passage like this, the first question could be simple as one of disbelief. We could literally just start with the question, Jesus performed an exorcism? I mean, that is absolutely the first question that you can ask. We don't have to go any deeper than that. If it is a question of what am I reading? Again, Suzanne is our guide, and she was an associate pastor here. She said, Ryan... Why is there a dragon in this passage? I don't know. Let's find out. Jesus performed an exorcism? Why is Mark telling that? Didn't Mark know? Didn't God know that in 2024, that probably wasn't going to pass the same as it did back then? Why, why is he telling people a story like this? Why is Mark telling his audience and telling us what Jesus did? So let's go back to the story. With all of that, because I wanted to lay all of that groundwork, I want to read it through that lens. Why is he telling this story? And then discover what we can learn. Listen again. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach. Now, remember, we're asking questions. They went to Capernaum. Who? First of all, just circle it. They who? Who went to Capernaum? Well, they went to Capernaum when the Sabbath came. Jesus. Okay, Jesus is singular, so there be people in this story. Who are the they? 
Now, if we back up, we know that the they are the followers of Jesus that we met last week. The fishermen named Peter and Andrew, along with two others named James and John, that Jesus had invited. So remember, there's always something before the story. There's always something after the story. And between those two pieces of Oreo, you sort of can discover what's in the middle between that and what that might mean. So we back up and we go, who are they? Okay, so they are these fishermen, Peter and Andrew, along with James and John. Oh yeah, you know, those saints, those guys that sort of knew everything, they didn't know anything. All they knew was that they had been invited by Jesus to come and experience the kingdom of God, to come be a part of what he was doing. And what they did was they dropped their nets for whatever reason, we'll talk about that, and they said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna follow this guy. They went with him, he shows up at this synagogue, and they see what's taking place. But remember, they went. These people went with Jesus. Again, not on a leisurely walk through Galilee. He was like, hey guys, we're heading over Turkey Run, you guys want to come? He invited them with these words. Listen to this. This is from last week. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe the good news. <laughs> this is awesome. These guys are on this boat. They're getting their nets ready, their fishing gear ready. Their dad is with them in one of the boats. <laughs> and Jesus walks by and he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And Mark says, the guys heard this, look at their dad, drop their nets, drop their fishing gear. He's looking at them, what are you doing? And they're like, did you hear what he said? I'm with him. I'm going wherever this thing takes me. And they walk. And they follow Jesus. And, and we asked last week, why? Well, it's because, not because of who Jesus, they didn't know Jesus yet. They hadn't seen all this stuff, but they heard what he said. Listen to what he said. The kingdom of God. He says to them, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I'm not going to ask Justin to come back up here like I did last week. But he's telling them, turn around. You're going in this direction, okay? But the kingdom of God is here, and it's going to take a complete reversal, a complete change. Everything that you knew this direction is now this way. Everything that was, was down is now up. Everything that was south is down. I, I, the, the script has been completely flipped. And they're like, yeah, that sounds worth it to me. This man has come and said, the kingdom of God, the world is changing. Everything that we know about this world is no longer what we know about this world. The kingdom of God to these people was grace and mercy and love and goodness and justice and righteousness. And just like us, they've seen enough greed. They've seen enough hatred. They've seen enough racism. They've experienced enough injustice. They've seen enough of that to say, you're telling me the world can be changed. If I repent, believe, again, this is good news. He says, it's coming. You just come on on. You just get on board. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on. Let's go. And that's why they're willing to drop everything, just like we should be. That is good news. I don't need all this because, man, that is good news. 
The kingdom of God, we discovered last week, comes up over and over again in the story. In other places in the Bible, particularly in Matthew's account, he calls it um, the kingdom of heaven. And while this is initially confusing, the use of the different phrases for the same idea is going to be helpful for us today, okay? So again, the first question, who are they? It's these disciples who heard about the kingdom of God and chose to follow. Now, we also know that the kingdom of God, as we look into scripture, is called something else. It's called the kingdom of heaven. Why is it called the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? Great question. Let's discover why, because this is going to help us to understand what's taking place here today. One way to think of it is this. The kingdom of God phrase helps us articulate that the kingdom of God is where God's reign or rule is breaking into this world. Jesus that invites us to participate in this kingdom as we choose to give our lives to following him, participating in his mission of a new kingdom wherever our lives take us. Now, I wrote all that down, and I'll try to say it again in a way that helps us to understand it a little bit better for myself so I can clarify it, is that the kingdom of God, when Jesus said, it is near, Jesus is saying, here's this world, and this is breaking into this world. It is coming. It is shattering all expectations. And then when he says repent and believe, he's saying come and be a part of it because wherever you go, it's breaking into that. It's breaking into that. It's breaking into that place. It's coming into that place. This is amazing to think about. Wherever followers of Jesus go, the kingdom of God is supposed to break into that moment, into that space, making everything that is one way a different way making the world upside down wherever they go. And this is where the second phrase, kingdom of heaven, is helpful to us. This phrase, kingdom of heaven, reminds us that the kingdom Jesus is establishing is unlike anything that's ever come before us. Now, again, this was confusing to Jesus' followers in the first century. They were convinced of the first part, that Jesus was establishing a physical kingdom. Your kingdom is coming here. It's breaking into this world, and we will live here in this space. And that's what they thought. But the kingdom of heaven helps us to see that that's not all that Jesus was talking about. They were convinced that he was going to establish a physical throne, physical walls, armies, and enemies. But Jesus' kingdom, as we find, is so much more beautiful than that. It's more beautiful than anything we can control, anything we can comprehend. In the book of Isaiah, the author talks about God's ways being different. And this will help us. Listen to this, Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, He says, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. Now, this isn't a slam on our collective intellect. This is a reminder of our limited human vision. It is an invitation into God-filled dreams to have God-given imagination that things can be different than our world. Remember, These fishermen knew these passages because they grew up with this. This was their culture and their understanding. They had heard it repeated that God's God's ways are different. God is going to do something different. Well, what what if he means it? We have such a hard time imagining the world can be different. My generation, I'm a I'm a exennial. So I get to live in two different worlds. I get to live in the Gen X world where we're complete cynics about the world. This is where grunge music came from. Completely cynical. But the power of an exennial is we also have a little bit of millennial. We are cynically hopeful. We look at the world and we say, man, the world can be completely different. 
It probably won't be. <laughs> but it could be completely different. But not with those people in charge. It could be, this is what we do, right? And every generation has this problem, but this is a problem of humanity. Man, we are supposed to be people of hope. <laughs> if anything, we should be people who say the world can look different because God's ways are different. He wants it to look different. It's an invitation to see heaven among us today, to experience the fullness of God's promises through Jesus. And that's what Mark does. See, Mark invites these guys in this story. He says that Jesus says, the world is changing. Everything's going to be different. You're going to see the world changed upside down. They accept the invitation because they go, that sounds great. Let's go. And then he goes into this incredible, just boom, 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 story after story after story after story where he does exactly that where Jesus defies all expectations, where he changes everything, where, where, what, where they're actually seeing his power and his authority. They're seeing that the world can look different. They're seeing the kingdom of heaven around them. And that's exactly what we read here in this passage. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as them when it had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cries out, what do you want with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook. The man violently came out with a shriek. Now the word here is impure. Its word is unclean. In the ancient world, impure or unclean things, objects, and people were barred from the presence of God. So this word that he's using is this is an unclean, this is an impure spirit. This is something that is barred from the presence of God because God is perfect, God is righteous, God is good, God is all of these things, and what's, what's here is not. What's here is not. Now God's presence was locally tied specifically to the holy place of the temple. We discover that later on. Or if we look back to the Old Testament, we see that that was the understanding, that was the belief. This is where God's presence was found. So anything impure, anything unclean that didn't belong in God's presence couldn't go into the temple, couldn't go into that space. Yet I want you to see what happens here. Jesus is walking in with these disciples, and he had just said, everywhere we go, that is where the kingdom of God is. God's kingdom is breaking in through my presence into this world so how can something impure, something unclean, be in that presence? Things that are impure and unclean are out of joint with God's rule and reign. They have infiltrated God's creation. And what he's saying, this is the why, is that they're on their way out. The things that are out of joint with what God wants to do, in this story, Jesus is saying, those things are out. They aren't belonging here any longer. Now, following God means that we experience that confrontation firsthand. In a letter to the first century church in a city called Ephesus, the Apostle Paul talked about this. He prepared people for what they were going to face in this new reality, and he said this. He said, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Again, takes us pause, questions. Then he goes on, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, 
Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now here's how this connects for us. Paul was telling these people, just like us, people who are new followers of Jesus, people who are in this first century church coming together, that they had a fight on their hands against things that were working against what God is trying to do in this world through Jesus and his church. The the armor, the weapons aren't literal. They're fighting something else. And that's what takes us back to our story. See, I told you that Mark is showing Jesus bringing the kingdom of God into this world. He's showing that the world can be miraculously changed. He is showing us in this moment this impure, unclean thing that doesn't belong in what God is trying to do in this world. Doesn't belong with this man, doesn't belong in him, and it fights back. And he says, get out. You don't belong here anymore. But I want you to see something incredible. I want you to see where the story begins. As Mark continues to tell these miraculous stories like this, I want you to see where he started. He began with people of faith. He began with people of faith as Jesus walked into a worship service. So here's the takeaway then. The first place that we will fight back against what is at odds with what God is trying to do may very well be ourselves. It may very well be right here in the church. It may very well be things inside you and me. Now, I still have all kinds of questions about this story. Let's keep asking good questions, but I do know this. The demons that we call greed, racism, hate, don't need battle lines out there if they find willing participants in here. Walls keeping people out there don't need to be built there if we're willing to build them right here. And the love of God has already been declared defeated by the world if it's the last thing that people see from people who claim to follow Jesus. Now, our church community is beautiful. But this is a warning, I think, that is needed for us all. That the hope of Jesus' invitation, his transformation is available. It's his power that changes hearts and evicts all the impure, unclean, demonic things from our lives. I believe that the world can be a place full of grace. I believe the world can be a place full of mercy and justice and love. I believe that that world is possible because of the life that Jesus lived, the death and the resurrection, the power that he gives into our lives. But I believe that things are working against that reality. Things are working against the justice and the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And we have a responsibility to say, Jesus, come and clean my heart. Expel anything impure from me and help me to live as a person of love and justice and grace and mercy. It begins here. And I think that's why the story begins there. Now, the Apostle Paul said this, and then we'll close. 
He says, for as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I wonder why he said his tears. And I think about all the churches that Paul had started. And I think about all the conflict that he saw in those churches of people who said, no, we can't worship together. We can't be together. They don't belong. They're not in. They're out. And I wonder if he just cried tears as he saw God's grace and mercy. And he thought, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Look what Jesus did, and this is what you're going to do. So he cries, and he says, they're living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Then he says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will look and be like his glorious body. Paul, in his incredible way, of touching the very practical while pointing to the incredible, miraculous reality, says be changed. Allow the Spirit of God to work in you in such a way that you are transformed, that you are changed, that you no longer look back at what was, but look at what's possible to come. And like we talked about last week, you grab onto that, you hold onto that, and you pull some of that into this world. And you say, this world here will be changed just in the way that we are to be changed. I have hope now because I have hope in heaven. And that's hard. I got to drop my cynicism. Some of us have some greed we got to drop. Some of us have some other stuff going on that's pretty ugly that we don't want anybody else to know about. But Jesus is ready to transform each and every one of us because he needs us to go into this world so that the kingdom of God may continue. So that, so, and it's going to be here, with, whether we're, we're on that train or not, it's happening, is what he said. But he wants us to be people of love and grace and mercy and justice and goodness everywhere we go. And if we have anything working against those things in our hearts, it's not going to work. That's not a tension that we can solve. The only way that it can be solved is through Jesus. Cleansing and expelling all of that from our lives. Again, there's still some great questions here. But man, doesn't that get us down a good path to begin to answer some of those questions? To see what Mark is trying to tell us, to, to see what is possible through Jesus? Man, awesome. God, we are so thankful for these passages that just cause us to pause, to ask these hard questions. God, help us to be people who are transformed, who are changed, who see the impurity and the uncleanliness. Some of that bitterness that we walk around with. Maybe that anger that we're holding on to. Maybe that greed. Maybe that look we just give certain people. God, help us to be convicted of that, to repent, to recognize that does not belong. 
to understand that to follow you means to drop all of that and to be restored, to be cleansed. We know that you can do that. And help us to continue this story of love and grace and mercy that you've begun. It's your name that we pray. Amen.